You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. just speaking for a few moments on this topic there's another in the fire there's another in the fire and just before we uh, just before we sit down together we want to pray one more time ask God to have his hand upon the rest of the service let his will be done here today God we are so thankful for everything that we felt so far on your service God I pray here today that you will let your will be done the remainder part of this service. God, I pray that you would speak through your servant here today to these wonderful people. God, I pray, Lord, that you would reach, God, into those that are watching and listening online as well. God, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise, all the glory. We turn to you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. When we think of summer, what's the first thing that we think of? Usually the heat. Temperatures in the 30s. We think of vacations. We think of taking time off work for a few days to get away from the hectic rat race of our lives. We look forward to the break. Forward to experiencing something new. Going on some adventures. To going somewhere to escape the heat like maybe the ocean. Taking a walk on the beach. And uh, even this morning... Uh, Brother Laird, he mentioned he, uh, this morning, he's like, oh, it's a beautiful day for a barbecue. And then he said, and then again, it's always a beautiful day for a barbecue. <laughs> Summer brings camping and campfires, enjoying the warmth at night, roasting marshmallows, making s'mores, cooking hot dogs on tree twigs. We fire up that old grill, put on some steaks, hamburgers or kebabs, and listen to them sizzle. The aroma fills the entire neighborhood. In fact, You become the envy of all of your neighbors. Oh, my goodness. We should have done that. Why are we sitting in here inside eating this meal when we could be outside cooking on the barbecue? Oh, you know, but no one is usually thinking about turning on the fire. No one's usually thinking about turning on the fireplace, the the furnace. Oh, you know, it's a little chilly. Why don't we put some wood on the furnace today? This morning, we are going to look at a story from the Bible where a furnace was used in the heat of a moment. An angered king chooses to make an example of his staff in front of the entire empire. And this morning, I want to start with a very familiar story from the Old Testament found in Daniel chapter 3. The names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have captured our imaginations across the globe. They have been set to music. Parents have used them to put their children to bed. Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. (laughs) Despite, though, the catchy sounds of these names, the actual story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 is one of great intensity and drama. And there's so much that we can learn from this one story. If you remember at the end of Daniel 2, Daniel was able to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he was so troubled about. God woke him up in the middle of the night with this dream, and he couldn't make any sense of it. In fact, he couldn't even remember the dream, but he, he called in all of the, the wisest of the land, every, anybody that could interpret this dream for him. And Daniel, he rose to the forefront, and 
not only interpreted the dream, but he told the king what his dream was. And um, because of this, the king made Daniel a very senior officer in the entire empire of Babylon. And at Daniel's suggestion, the king also gave Daniel's three friends, his three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, positions of authority in the province of Babylon. And at this point, these boys are just that, probably boys, teenagers at best, no more than 21 years old. By the time we get to chapter 3, though, of Daniel, about 20 years has elapsed. And during this time, these three brothers have been serving as officials of the government. As a matter of course, they had gained responsibilities, authority, and, of course, enemies. And so we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. Can you imagine? 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That, that took a turn, didn't it? Nebuchadnezzar had acknowledged the God of Daniel as a God of gods and a Lord of kings, but he still appeared to worship the various gods of Babylon. There was no other record in Scripture where the king ever spoke to Daniel about Daniel's God before this chapter. But when after the events of chapter 2, when Daniel reviewed and explained Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the king wanted to make sure everyone knew that his kingdom... His kingdom would be the one that would last forever. I know Daniel interpreted the dream that it would be God who would come in and usher a kingdom that would last forever. But King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make sure that everybody around his kingdom and in his kingdom understood, if I have anything to say about this, this is what I'm going to do. So the king created a gold statue 90 feet tall. Nine feet wide. What a statement to be made. We aren't talking about a little gold ring. We're not talking about, uh, you know, some little, little intricate thing to say, oh, okay, you know, this is all about me. This is about my kingdom. No, he wanted everybody to know I'm the one to be worshipped. I'm the one whose kingdom is going to last. And so some of you here this morning are already trying to figure out how many pounds of gold it would take to create something of that scale. You're figuring out the dimensions in your head and trying to calculate it. On an appointed day, the king called for all of his overseers. And Daniel's three friends were included in this gathering. The king had promoted these men to positions of, the, of authority already in the province of Babylon. And were obedient to the king's command to assemble. They came. No problem so far. But a problem did arise when a herald began to give the king's commands. Verse 4 tells us that there were people of various languages and people groups that were in that setting. 
the herald went out in various translations, converting the commands in the Babylonian language into the dialect, perhaps, of each group present. And when the herald arrived to each individual, when they received that command, everyone in the crowd understood what was expected of them. How many of them worship the God of Israel? It's not known. The Bible doesn't give us any type of figure. Daniel's three friends were probably not the only ones. Some may have been genuine believers or God-fearers, but they decided to please the king regardless of what the Lord would have said about it. No one wanted to be put on the barbecue, and so they worshiped. No one wanted to be a kebab, so they bowed. We see this in, chapter, in this chapter, also the misuse of music. The first mention of music in Scripture, it's found in Genesis. It speaks of one named Jabal. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 21, Moses said of Jabal that he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. Music was often used in temple worship in Israel. David had several instruments that were built in order to aid in worship, and at various times there were groups of singers, choirs, if you will, who took part in worship, praising God Almighty. But music was also used in a bad sense, as was the case here. When the people heard the sounds of the music, it's just like musical chairs, only kind of a demented style of musical chairs, they were to bow down. They were all supposed to, they were all required to bow down and worship the king's image. The ones standing in the audience that day that served Jehovah knew the commands from Scripture that Moses had stated. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The first commandment from Exodus chapter 20, it says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Don't forget that. I'm the one who saved you. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." But these people were stolen away from their homeland by the Babylonians. They were in a state of slavery. Surely God would understand if we bow now. Surely God would understand that this is the way my world is going right now. I just have to do this to fit in. I'm not in a position to stand for my beliefs in a culture where people are bowing to anything. So I'll bow. As soon as the music begins, you are to bow down and worship or else. And everyone did, except for a few. Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, it tells us, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and of all kinds of music, no, I don't know what all those instruments are, shall fall down and worship the golden image. They knew what that decree said, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that 
he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Not only were there three who did not bow down to the image, Daniel's three friends, there were also some who noticed them. They noticed the stand that they took. And those who noticed these three still standing promptly reported this to the king. Oh, the king's going to love this. That's why we have a furnace. Naturally, the king became furious and demanded these three rebels to be brought to him immediately. I want to see them now. Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage that three of his personal staff had gone against his commands. I'm the boss around here, actually. Sadie, when she was three years old, she, she pointed to her chest and she says, I'm the boss. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, she is. <laughs> uh. You could say that they had problems in the workplace. In verse 14, the king asked them if it was true. Is this true? Had they, in fact, not bowed down to this image that I created? The results were obvious. They had not, and perhaps trying to appear gracious. The king gives them a second chance. Oh, wonderful. In verse 15, he tells them that he's going to strike up the band one more time. And they'll have one more chance to worship the image. And if they do so well, then everything's fine and we'll have it wrapped up before you know it. You just have to do this one little thing. He also reminded them again that if they didn't bow down and worship the image, the furnace was their fate. And they would be burned to death inside that furnace. So, no pressure. He even asked a question that might have scared any person who was not a believer in the God of Israel. What God could save you from that kind of fate? Who's going to save you now? And that was a threat no matter how you look at it. It seemed to Nebuchadnezzar that he had everything in his grasp. What could he lose? What person would really risk death, being burned to death in a furnace for any reason? And there were three who did just that. They refused to bow down the first time, probably not saying a word to anyone. They now refused to do this the second time, even though they were standing in front of the king, perhaps the most powerful man in the world at that time, and they refused to comply with his demands. They replied with three brief statements. The first was this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Careful here did not mean that they didn't take an analysis of the situation. They understood what was going on. But it meant that they were not nervous or scared. Your command doesn't frighten us. In the next sentence, they reminded the king that even though he might throw them into the furnace, the God they served was able to take them right back out. And they had faith that the God of their fathers would do exactly that. Of course, they did not demand God to do this. They put God to the test. They, they didn't put God to the test just by leaping into the furnace themselves. See, God can save us. 
They simply stated, our God is able to deliver us from anything, anywhere, and that includes your burning, fiery furnace. And their last sentence demonstrates their resolute faith. They said, but if not. But if not. If God does not come to our rescue, even if our God does not deliver us, even though we are staring down death, even though it may cost us everything, we will not worship your image. In the summer of 1940, more than 350,000 soldiers, most of them British, were trapped in Dunkirk. The German forces were on their way, and they had the capacity to wipe out the entire British force. And when it seemed certain that the Allied forces at Dunkirk were about to be massacred, a British naval officer cabled just three words back to London. Those three words were this, but if not. But if not. These words were instantly recognizable to the people who were accustomed to hearing the scriptures read in church. They knew the story told in the book of Daniel. The message in those three little words was clear. The situation was desperate. The Allied forces were trapped, were the ones left standing. But they determined not to give in. One simple three-word phrase communicated all of that. And for some reason, people are still not sure why the Axis powers hesitated to attack. They backed off briefly. And what's known as the miracle of Dunkirk took place. British families and fishermen heard about the telegraph cry for help, and they answered they answered with merchant marine boats and with pleasure crafters. And even with small fishing boats, but a miracle, by a miracle, they evacuated more than 338,000 soldiers and took them to safety. Daniel's friends refused to surrender to the king. The golden image, the appeals to their position, or anything. They had faith God would deliver them but if not, even if we get to the brink of the point that it seems like it's over, even if God doesn't come through, he's the only one worthy of my praise. Even if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I want him to answer my prayer, he's still worthy of my worship. Nebuchadnezzar may have been expecting any response besides the one he heard. And when the three Hebrews stated, do your worst, we trust God anyway. Verse 19 states, his face was changed against these three men. Changed. He was angry before. They had seen nothing yet. He was furious so much that he ordered the three Hebrews to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. These men, even though they were part of the king's personal staff, had no special rights or anything else for protection. If they offended the king, the king could have ended their lives, and that is exactly what he set out to do. He ordered these men bound and cast into the furnace. Interestingly enough, the king ordered it to be heated seven times hotter than usual. And in verse 22, it says that the furnace was so hot that the flame killed the men who took Daniel's friends near the furnace to throw them in. And in verse 23, it says that these three fell as if they had been dropped when the men ushering them died on their way to the furnace. Even though the soldiers literally felt the heat of the furnace, Daniel's friends were in the thick of it. 
everyone looking on must have thought, well, that's it. Serves them right to try to defy the king. You see me bowing, right? You see me bowing? I'm... The king was probably congratulating himself for not purging, for not only purging rebels from his kingdom, but now everyone knew he was serious and had seen what would happen if they didn't follow the king's commands to the letter. But something they had never expected to happen was about to happen. Remember, the three Hebrews had expressed their faith in their God that no matter what, they were remain faithful to him. God was about to reveal that he was and he is and he will always be faithful to his people. Because even though they had been thrown into the furnace, they weren't going to stay there. And in verse 24, it says the king was astonished. He was amazed when he saw something that he didn't expect to see. He asked his counselors, didn't we throw three men bound and cast into the fire? And then the king exclaimed, but I see four men down there. They're loosed and walking around. They aren't even bound. And the fourth man is like the Son of God. There's another in the fire. There's another in the fire. The group of four was walking around in the midst of that furnace. The king called out to them from the furnace, come forth, come hither. Nebuchadnezzar, he got the surprise of his life when he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the furnace. Verse 26 says they came forth from the midst of the fire. They were right in the middle of it. The three men walked out of that furnace with no damage to their bodies and even their clothing whatsoever. They didn't smell like smoke. We always have to contemplate when we have bonfires if we have enough time to all have showers afterwards before we go into bed because the smell of smoke gets on you even just by being close to the fire. People look at some of you sitting here today and wonder what has happened in your life. You don't look the same. You don't act the same. You don't even have a hint of the old life on you anymore. What's different? But let me tell you here this morning, there's another in the fire that's been with you through it all. These pagan rulers had just witnessed a miracle. Their God was walking with them through the fire. You know what the king did? The first thing the king did was praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for sending his angel to deliver the men from the furnace. The one who commanded everyone to bow was now bowing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And these three Hebrew leaders remained true to their own God instead of worshiping any other God. And the most radical thing the king did was to make a decree that if anybody, anywhere in his kingdom who spoke anything amiss, I know that's quite a broad statement, anybody, anywhere, anything, amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would face severe punishment. What a day that was, one to put into the records. It started off with a command to worship a golden idol and Mandatory bowing when the music played, then ended with a miracle when three men walked out of the fires of that furnace. Daniel's friends, not afraid of, 
not afraid of fire. They're not afraid of threats or anything else. They remain true to their God, even though it meant certain death. Even so, they were willing to live for their faith and die for their faith. If I could have the music come back at this time. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, it reads like this. Isaiah, he, he wrote this 500 years before Daniel wrote this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have this promise to go back to and say, well, even if we go through this, God's going to be with us. They just believed. They just believed, and so... They, they, had this, they had this incredible relationship with the Lord. And it says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Church, we are well protected. We have full coverage. We have water protection. We have fire protection. The church has been through the flood and it's been through the fire. But one of these days, one of these days, this church is going to move up higher. We haven't done it alone, have we? There's another in the fire with us. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is the Almighty. He's the great I am. I wonder if there's someone here today that you're going through your fiery trials. It seems that you don't know just what to do. In the fire, there's a fourth man. He wants to walk with you. If we could stand all across this place here this morning. David, he writes one of my favorite passages, Psalm 23. And in verse 4, it says, Yea, though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the midst of the fire, it matters who you are walking with. David writes in Psalm 34, verse 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. He defends them. Church, we are divinely protected by angels all around us. And so in the midst of the fire, we can walk with the Almighty. When the pressures of this life become too much for us to bear, we have a God who has been with us through everything that we are going through. Right that we can lean on and in the midst of the fire I'm so glad I'm so glad that the God we serve is a deliverer I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore verily deeply stained within sinking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me now safe am I love lifted me it was not my goodness, but love lifted me. When nothing else could, love lifted me. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. I want to tell somebody here today, in the midst of the fire, you will not be hurt. 
Maybe right now you feel like you were going under. Maybe right now the pressure seems more than you can bear. But let me tell you that the same God who protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire is our God today. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Somebody here today has gone through the fire over the past few days. And maybe still in the midst of it. And only God knows what you have gone through. But he will see you through. These three young men, the servants of the Most High God, came out of a burning, fiery furnace that had destroyed those who had cast them in. They had come out completely untouched by the fire. The ropes that bound them were burned up, but they were safe. The things that held them captive as they went into the fire were removed by the fire, but they were safe. That same power that delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace and raised Christ from the dead, that same power is available today. And God wants us to trust Him in every situation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Maybe right now you just cannot understand why you are going through what you're going through. But let me ask you a question here this morning. Can you trust God? We do not have to bow down to the beat of this world. But we can trust God. We do not have to follow the world and its attractions. But we can trust God. Can you trust God today knowing that whatever happens, He will care for you? Can you trust God knowing that the future is in His hands? Can you trust Him knowing that His words are true, that all things work together for good to them that love Him? There's another in the fire walking with you. Let me tell you somebody here this morning, you're not alone in this. You're not alone. You have somebody walking with you. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.